Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with performance coach, Rick Moylan. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 30 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I have Rick Moylan on the line. So, I like to get guys on that have got a really interesting story, and Rick has definitely got that. So, Rick was trainer to Ricky Hatton uh, for about four or five years, I think, from 2009. Now, he's got uh, Liam Brody, who's the tennis player, and Scott Quigg, the world champion boxer. So, in this chat with Rick, I discuss uh, the boxing training culture, we discuss conditioning for a fighter, strength training for a fighter, and building up to a world title fight, which Rick has personal experience of. So it's a really interesting chat with Rick, uh, and like I said before, it's a great story that he's got, uh, coming from a personal training background, and still doing personal training. And I think that's something that gets looked down upon from for some reason, through guys in professional sport, which I think is absolute nonsense. So Rick's a good uh, good example of guys that have come from personal training, come into professional sport and continue to do personal training because that's often where the, the, the bills are paid through the, the private clients um, and to tell everyone that you're working with whoever uh, is kind of a bonus. So just before we get onto the chat with Rick, just want to say that you can keep up to date with everything that's going on the podcast if you go to paceyperformance.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at Pacey Perform. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube. So, And if you'd be so kind, if you'd leave a rating and a review on iTunes, that would be massively appreciated. Before I go any more, here is the interview with Rick Moylan. Hi guys, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I've got Rick Moylan on the line coming from Manchester. So I'd just like Rick to give us a little bit of information on his uh, education background uh, and a bit of bio on himself and welcome Rick to the podcast. So welcome, Rick. Cheers, Rob. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. No worries. Um, just want to give us a bit of information on your education, your background and what you're currently doing. Uh, yep, yep, cheers. Um, Education-wise, I'm studying the MSc in Strength Conditioning at Salford University. Uh, amongst a number of other things, I've got a sports science background, as I'm sure a lot of people have who come on this on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've been in and around sort of training the industry for about 12, 14 years now. Um, I'm currently the uh, head performance trainer to the WBA Super Bantamweight Champion of the World, Scott Quigg. I also work with uh, Liam Brody, who's a top 200 world-ranked tennis player. He's ranked sort of three, four in the UK right now and is a, a big up-and-coming prospect for the future. Uh, and I spent four and a half years as the head of strength conditioning for Team Ricky Hatton. Nice. So do you want to, I mean, I know we talked off air a little bit before, but do you want to give us a, um, a background on your kind of career, how the how the Hatton thing came about and what you did prior to then? Yeah, I mean, I I, I was working as a, as a personal trainer in, in Manchester, you know, and um, I was I was self-employed and working with, you know, a lot of private clients and corporate clients and whatnot like that. We, but I was also doing a lot of training on my own, 
a lot of martial arts training, some boxing training and so forth like that. I was very, very passionate about combat sports uh, and remain so, remain passionate about them. Um, it, it was what I always wanted to get into. You know, I always, um, I did a lot of combat style training with the, the guys and girls that I was working with day in, day out. Uh, and, I, and I was doing a lot of studying, a lot of reading and, and so forth. And um, I, I did what I would encourage any any young uh, aspiring uh, S&C coach, where, you know, whatever to, to do, which was I got off my ass and uh, I went and did some voluntary work. And um, I met a very young uh, fighter called Anthony Crawler through a, through a mutual friend. And they, he allowed me to, to get some voluntary work with him. And it and it all built from there, really. You know, I I, I started working with a few other fighters, and then started getting you know a little bit of money, and and that was when I got the knock from from Ricky Hatton to to come and uh, work for them. Mm-hmm. So what what period were you with the Hatton team? Um, it was from about two thousand and ten, just maybe maybe the end back end of two thousand nine, mm-hmm. um, up till two thousand fourteen. To the start of 2014, so Ricky had um, Ricky had, had lost to Manny Pacquiao not long before I started. So you know, it's, I, I missed his I missed his glory sort of years really, which was um, yeah. I mean, you know, it was it's amazing to hear all the stories and whatnot. But what I was responsible for was um, bringing through the the crop of youngsters that have now gone on to become world class fighters. Mm-hmm. So is that within the Hatton team? Oh, is that, yeah, is yeah, that, yeah, yeah, okay. That's right. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky became a manager and, and, a, and a mentor, really, for a, a ton of young fighters. And, and some of them fighters have, have gone on, one of them being Martin Murray, who, who unfortunately lost a world title fight last weekend against Gennady Golovkin, who, who's arguably the, 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 the best fighter in the world right now. You know, Martin was a young Hatton fighter. Um, Anthony Crawler has gone on to win a British title. and and we'll challenge for a world title this year. Scott Quigg, who's become a world champion. Sergey Rabchenko, who's who's a current European champion. So, you know, I got to bring a lot of these young lads through and, and hopefully assist them along the way. Mm. So it was Darren Roberts that made the connection between myself and you. How did uh, how did you get to know Darren? <laughs> uh, yeah, me and Darren, me and Darren, um, me and Darren have known each other a long, long time, and uh, you know, probably since I, I got into the industry, and, and I started right at the bottom. I um, and I worked my way up, and, and I met Darren working in a gym, and and Darren was doing really, really well, and he was doing what I wanted to do. You know, I I, I came into into the industry on a few low level qualifications. Um, yeah, as I say, maybe fourteen years ago, expecting that I was going to be training people, doing all the glamour stuff, and and quickly realised I was cleaning, changing rooms, and 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 doing the, you know, getting the grounding that, that I think you need. And and uh, Darren was was doing what I wanted to do, you know. So I I've never been shy to um, you know, anyone who knows me will will say that I'm not I'm not one to hold his voice, you know. So I, I went straight up to him and marched up and said, you know what. What are you doing, and, and how, how do you do it? And, and that was where that was where I met Darren. From there, I've since gone on to work with a number of athletes that Darren trains as well, a number of Red Bull athletes, and so forth. So, mm-hmm. no, that sounds good. Something that interests me is the the culture in 
uh, boxing and obviously combat sports. Do you want to talk, talk to us a little bit about the kind of perception that, um, maybe it's a true perception that, you know, uh, long, slow runs, kind of circuit-style training, and then how it's developed over the years, that developed, that culture's developed? Yeah, I mean that 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 culture it, it's it's very it's very true. You know that is what goes on. Um, uh, I got involved sort of you know it'd be about eight or nine years ago now when I first started and um, with the fighters and 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 it was it, I mean it wasn't quite as extreme as you know not with all of them it wasn't quite as extreme as you know bin bags like people yeah. would, would portray. But you know they were there's a lot of sweatsuits, a lot of. Um, a lot of distance running, like you say, a lot of a lot of circuit training. Um, circuit training has become more prevalent now, and, and maybe we'll get to that in a second because a lot of people are calling that S and C when when it when it isn't. But um, a lot of long runs, a lot of very stiff, posturally poor, uh, you know, human bodies uh, that that didn't function properly, and and frankly, um, a lot of uh, old school poor methods um i came in with these delu you know these ambitions i almost said delusions <laughs> then but ambitions of, uh, that i was going to make massive changes and i was going to show these guys the light and i'm you know and i'm sure there's a load of us who, who've got familiar stories and I, and I was met with a huge amount of resistance because the culture was as you've said uh distance running to get fit for a fight and um so I had to be, I had to play a, a real game of patient chess in order to to build some trust and slowly but surely uh, make the changes that I felt were needed. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've spoke to a couple of guys, um, particularly in football, with the the culture in football. Who is it you have to convince in the kind of uh, in the combat sports scene? Is it the coach? Is it the the kind of um, technical coach, or is it the athlete themselves with this culture so ingrained in the sport? I think it, I think it's both. Okay. Um, because you know, like like most athletes, combat combat sportsmen uh, are they're doing it from a very young age. So they they've come from an amateur boxing or an amateur martial arts or you know some sort of amateur combat sport background where there's usually an old guy who's been doing it for fifty, sixty years and 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 has had a, le- a level of success. Uh, you know the technical coach, as you say. Uh, they move into the professional ranks, um, and and they're doing the exact same methods. And 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 the problem you've got is they're looking at their heroes. You know the the you know I can say this. Ricky Hatton's one of them who admittedly, you know, obviously publicly, he, there's there's been some lifestyle issues, but he admittedly um, didn't train that great. He trained very very hard. Uh, was unbelievably fit and, and unbelievably uh, dedicated, but. Um, there was never that much sort of science or he, the training was very old. It didn't move with the times, you know. So you've got these young fighters looking at the likes of Ricky who had enormous success and going, well, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Um, so, you know, I, I decided that it, it had to be a strategic battle and, and what I would do in order to, to evolve change in, in, a, in a longer, in a bigger picture, a longer run, was a... Uh, the, the technical coaches, they, they all feel that they know how to get a fighter fit. They all feel that they know S&C and they, they know the, the mechanics of the body. But the, the area where they, they, by their own admittance, were not so knowledgeable was nutrition. 
So I started doing mostly, you know, the old 80-20 rule, mostly nutrition changes with the fighters. And then as and then as trust built and slowly built, I would slowly implement a little bit, you know, oh, maybe you want to try this and maybe you want to try that. And then eventually I built I built a level of trust with the technical trainers that they, they were happy to embrace change. Mm. So we talked about the, the kind of long, slow running um, for the conditioning aspect of the of the combat athlete. How has that changed or what have you tried to implement with regards to the condition uh, of these guys? Well, I, I, you know, I remember in my sort of naivety, I was like, you know, with one fire, I was like, right, we're not doing any distance running. And he was, he was just like, what? What, what the fuck? What are you on about? You know, and I said, you know, because I'd read probably too many, a few too many textbooks and whatnot, you know, and I was like, you know, we're going to sprint now, you know, and for whatever reason. And I, anyway, I suppose the word is, is we, we compromised and, um, the, the fighters, any athlete, you have to give them something that they like doing, yeah? And and what I realise is actually fighters like distance running. You know, it clears their head. A lot of them don't don't work, you know, they, they're full-time athletes like, like, you know, football, say, for example. They've got a lot of time on their hands. Um, so they like going for a distance run, you know. Um, it helps them think their tactics through and, and visualize their fights and so forth like that. And then there, there is also the weight management argue there because obviously combat sports are, are weight dependent. So we compromised and what we, we did is, is we, we would reduce the, the volume of distance runs um, and then put measures into to try and, you know, nullify the effects of that. So, you know, lots of mobility, lots of stretching, uh, quite a few fighters have embraced little bits of yoga now, um, and then you know, as I say, we've we've into the plan. We've dropped in that they may only do a small amount, uh, you know, or maybe one run a week, but they might get some sprint working or some, uh, you know, some more boxing based conditioning. Mm-hmm. So, just for example, the fight's been confirmed. It's I don't know how many weeks they normally get after a. After a, um, you know, it's been confirmed. How long do they get? Um, normally, I mean, at the, the higher levels, you, you normally get you've got a good sort of three months notice. Okay. Usually. So, so how would so you've got the notice? It's three months away. What would, <clears throat> what would an, a normal week look like for for you know your involvement in a in a fighter's preparation? Well, you, you work, you work. Obviously, you're carrying backwards towards the one day. You know, so it has to be planned meticulously towards that that one that one event uh, and there's actually within a within the you know the combat event within the fight there's actually two events there's the way in the day before and then the fight night you know so you're preparing for for the two but my my week would would I would liaise with um from the beginning I'd, I would liaise with the technical coach who would give us a breakdown of the opponent and then the type of game plan that they were going to look to implement against that opponent um, and, and we, we'd work to a brief together. Um, the boxing training always um, takes preference because we have to get things like sparring partners involved and, and so that's always slotted into the weekly schedule first and then we will work around it from from there. Um, but you know for example with Scott and, and with Scott pretty much every day uh, and, and we'll cover our periodized plan over the, the 12 weeks. So, we've done the conditioning bit of the SNC. 
so what what's the strength train look like or how's that evolved over time i think i think it's still evolving to be honest with you rob um there's there's a few you know old myths still flying around in combat sports you know that um, weights make you slow that's that's the main one weights make you slow um a lot of fighters obviously have concerns as again it is a weight dependent sport so they're concerned that weights make you bulky you know there's uh weights make you big you know <laughs> I don't want to get too big. I don't want yeah, to get too big. Don't want to get too big. Don't yeah. want to get too slow. You know, and and these sort of you're battling against these uh, worries and fears and and miseducations. You know, so um, for what we would do is is we would um, towards the the start of the training camp we would we would work on it on a on a pure strength basis to start with, uh, building into a speed strength and a strength endurance. Um, and, and making it mimic more boxing style strength and conditioning as we get closer to the fight. Further away from the fight, that's when we'd be getting our our real compound stuff in and our real our real we'd be lifting some real loads then. Mm-hmm. So that's, in the, in, that's the way we do it. Yeah. In in the initial phases, so three months out, how many sessions, as in strength sessions, would these guys be getting from you? Well, interestingly, because a lot of them, they've, they've gone from not doing it for a while. There's, there's usually a bit of soreness kicking in. Uh-huh. So I, ideally, I'd go for as, you know, as without overcooking them, I'd go for, you know, as many as I could. Well, certainly three to four a week, but invariably it might end up being two to three a week. Um, and, and yeah, you know, we, 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 do, we do an awful lot more than we were doing five or seven years ago. You know, so uh, I get, I mean, Quig is very uh, conditioning and strength conditioning orientated and, and his trainer embraces it as well. We are, we have a great working relationship. So I, I, I can get usually a good three sessions a week in with him, which, uh, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So in, in between fights, what's your involvement? So are you just kind of offering guidance, you know, with the, with the kind of general training? I know you said Ricky Hatton didn't train that hard in between fights. Is that, you know, come? I think I think historically fighters would you know they'd go and have a fight and then they'd, they'd go they'd go off the you know fall off the wagon for a little bit and that's that's something that I've noticed that, that's changed massively actually fighters are are now more conscious of their weight management and so they will take over even when they don't have a fight um, so usually you know I'll be around I'll I'll be doing something definitely I'll be um, what we do is if we don't have a fight lined up we'll. Uh, We'll we'll be working on you know maybe some sort of weakness in the in the physical state of the fighter, some sort of postural improvement or some sort of uh, you know yeah, some of them obviously have injuries as well you know so some injury rehab and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you were away last week, is that right? With a title fight? No. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I should have been away. I okay. Been, should have been in Germany with. Um, right. But for various reasons, no, I, I didn't end up. Uh, I didn't end up going. But. Um, yeah, so sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, 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 I'm just going to use it as a bit of a segue into um, discussing the kind of final week before a, you know, a huge fight like a world title fight. Do you want to yeah. just give us a bit of a rundown in that kind of final week, the prep for the final week? Yeah, again, culturally, historically, um, a fighter wouldn't wouldn't do much in in the final week. You know, they would they would sort of rest or, or taper off or whatever you want to call it, and that, and that's something I think has has changed uh, again as well. Um, fighters are are a lot more aware now that 
you know, yeah, well, they, they won't spar, you know, for risk of getting a cut or an injury or something like that. But there's no reason why they can't keep moving in that final week. And then there's no reason why, they, you know, we, we can't be looking after their, their body. So, you know, yeah, seven days before we, we would be, we'd be, you know, still in camp doing something. The hard work is done by that point. So we'd just be sharpening up, working on their, you know, their reflexes, making sure uh, they're nice and nice and relaxed, making sure they're getting plenty of, you know, massage, their 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 weight is good. There'll be there'll be quite a bit of um weight monitoring, body fat monitoring. There's a lot of body fat testing in combat sports and certainly the way I do it, because we, we like them to make weight in the correct manner rather than you know, through things like uh, fluid loss and whatnot. But, you know, we'd we'd be ticking them over, bits of stretching, um keeping them occupied, watching tapes of the opponents, making sure that that they've uh, that they've got their tactics in place. Mm-hmm. And what about straight after fights? What's your involvement there? Uh, again, with history, there would be no involvement. But with somebody like Quig, we've got a full recovery strategy in place now. So we um, we we he'll come out of the fight and go straight into an icing procedure. Um, all the major joints using you know top the top piece of kit, the game ready, which you know. Uh, he's used a lot in in pro sports. We so we use game ready and and he's straight into an icing procedure and a, and a, and a phase down and a, and a, a yeah, stretching not really but he'll then have a day a day or two off and and then we will be looking to bring him in. His physio will bring him in and and you know check him out, give him a give him a a once over. Um, we use a Harrison Ross physio actually, mm-hmm. um, obviously. But there we nice go. Nice link there. Yeah, nice little, nice little plug for Harrison, <laughs> Harrison Ross there. I'll, I'll expect to thank you for that one. But, um, you know, we, there's a full recovery strategy in place of, of um, not allowing him just to sort of, you know, have the fight and then go and chill out in bed for a week. You know, that's not how it works. You know, it is, uh, there's, there's nutritional protocols to help reduce inflammation and swelling and everything, you know. So we, we try and go into as much detail as we can. Yeah, one thing I'm really wanting to speak to you about, I know we chatted about it um, beforehand, is your your business side of things. So your kind of development of your your own website, which you've um, redone, which looks great. Do you want to just tell us a bit about how you've developed that business and where you see it going? Because I know we've ch- chatted about pro sport and the kind of the downsides and the upsides of that. Um, just give yeah. us a bit about your kind of private private work that you do on the side as well as your combat athletes yeah i mean but you know i, I operate as a, as a consultant basically I'm, I'm i'm completely i run my own i'm a limited company and i run my own i run my own show um and that involves you know the work that i do with scott quick and liam Brody, which you know is 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 it's great it's contracted work but it's work i invoice for um i, I don't I say I don't have an exclusivity. I, of course, I would never train a, a, you know, there could never be a conflict of interest. I would never train an athlete that would go against Liam Brody or Scott Quigg, you know, but um, I, I, I am in charge of my own show and that's the way I like it. I, I work with private clients. I operate and do a lot of seminars and I work for a very large gym, uh, gym company called Lifestyle Fitness. Um, and I teach and mentor all their personal trainers. It's um, it's the way I like I like to do things. I, I 
for a number of reasons, like we spoke about, working for a team, working for a club. It's not where I am anymore. It's not where I want to be. Um, and I, I, I run my own show. I plan my own diary and, and I run my own week. So you still got, you say you still got private clients. What kind of clients have you got, kind of PT-wise? Yeah, I, um, I, I work with a, a very sort of small number of um, private clients, a couple, of, a couple of women, not just men, a couple of women, a couple of men. And, and they, they kind of align with me personality-wise. They align with me in, in terms of my methodology and, and my outlook and the, the way I motivate people. Uh, and uh, and I really, really enjoy doing that. You know, um, it, it keeps me not real. That's a really stupid thing to say. But um, it, it keeps me on the ground working with a member of public. And, and it, it keeps my mind broadened so I can... You know, what is the point of me laying down a, a S&C stroke periodized plan for, for these guys saying that they've got to train three times a day? Well, that just doesn't work for them, you know. Um, it keeps me understanding that, that these, these guys and girls out there that are trying to achieve optimum results and optimum performance, but they have a, they have a number of hurdles that we have to get around, and, and I really, really enjoy doing it. I mean, I looked, just plugged your website as well, but um, I looked at your website the other day um, and there's a there's a big section on kind of mentors and the important, importance of mentors. Do you just want to give your kind of a bit of a, a summary on your thoughts about mentors and mentorships? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we're, we're all about obviously academic stuff. You know, we've mentioned that you're, you're studying academically, so am I, but I'm a massive believer in hands-on learning. You know, I, I, said, I said it earlier, you know, I... I I rolled my sleeves up and walked into a boxing gym and worked for free. And I would, I would massively, massively recommend that that people seek mentorship. You know, um, I have done it. I do it ongoing, uh, and it's a service I provide. Um, I my role within Lifestyle Fitness uh, to all of their personal trainers is is one of of a mentor to them all, and I'm trying to uh, help them not only in terms of building their business and earning more money, but also every aspect of it, you know, how they communicate with their clients, the programs they write and the, and the results they get. Um, I, I would, I would massively advise any aspiring SNC coach or any aspiring fitness coach, personal trainer to, to seek some form of mentorship, to go and learn off people who are already doing what they want to do. I mean, me and Darren had a couple of um, a couple of texts back and forth a couple of months ago regarding this. Because so I think, as part of the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, their higher guys have to mentor the ones and on the lower tier. But what kind of things should be looking for from a from a mentor? How involved do you think you need someone to be? How involved are you with their with the guys that you're working with? Um. I try. I try. I run group seminars, and I and I try and do one to one work with all of all of the guys under okay. my sort of all of my, you know under my mentorship. Uh, I'm in contact with them regularly, phone contacts. But you know, for me, it's it's face to face. It's touch time. You know, uh, within the lifestyle fitness organisation, lifestyle fitness personal training, they have a number of young coaches coming through, and again, part of their um, their developmental program is touch time with the more advanced trainers. I I, I just think that that, that um, hands-on, face-to-face, 
watching an experienced coach, uh, the the tone of voice that they use, the 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 uh, the choice of wording, when when to use academic uh, S and C, when to use protocols and then when to completely fucking abandon them you know <laughs> uh, i i think that experience is is invaluable I, you know i i talk to a lot of young trainers and the coaches and, and and i say to them don't you know and i use the combat analogy obviously but i say don't be the karate kid you can't learn this job solely out of books you know go and meet trainers approach them some will give you some some time for free, others charge a fee. You know that that's how it goes. But I believe um, every one of us needs mentorship. So, last but not least, the the new website. Do you just yep. want to talk us about the kind of vision for it and why you've put it together and what what can be you know what can people can get from it? Yeah, the, the you know it's, it's it, the the idea is it's a blog and and it's a blog based all around performance um, and. You know, it's in the areas that we've discussed. It's 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 talking about athlete development and athlete training and sport uh, to to health, nutrition, fitness, and, and business. Because um, you know, how many coaches leave S and C, or how many coaches leave one to one coaching because the money's not right for them. So you know, the idea is it's um it's a portal for me to, to, to write my thoughts and experiences and, and give value to, to other trainers. And, and that's the plan. I, I've, I've posted about 25 blog posts up there already. I've got, you know, another seven or eight ready to go. And the idea is that I'm just going to keep getting it out there and writing. Uh, I'll get some guest writers on there occasionally, but it's, it's, to, it's to become a, a resource to help, you know, younger um, perhaps less experienced because I'm getting old and fat now, you know. But <laughs> um, you know, less lesser experienced guys and girls to 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 hopefully guide them along their along their path. Mm-hmm. So the blog's coming out every week, every couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, well, ideally every week. <laughs> yeah, knowing me, knowing me, I like to talk. But, um, <laughs> my written work, so that's a tiny bit so, but as often as I can, as often as I can. And uh, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably, you know. Uh, I've got a face for radio, but I'll probably put a, uh, a few. I'll probably put a few uh, video blogs out there at some point as well. So, as often, these things only work when you're adding new content onto them, you know. And and that's the the idea is is to is to keep uh, adding away. Definitely. Cool. So, where can people? Where else can people find your social media, Twitter, YouTube, wherever? Yeah, yeah. Um, my, obviously, my website, Rick Moylan, no K in the Rick. It's just R-I-C-M-O-Y-L-A-N. And I'm on, yeah, all the social media sort of platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and, and YouTube, very much on Facebook and Twitter. And YouTube will be will be growing in the next uh, in the next few months, definitely. Cool. Well, I'll just round up there and just say thank you very much for your time. Um, yeah, thank I'll, you for having me. No, it's all right. I'll be picking your brain about some of the things we've discussed as well. Anytime, anytime. Cool. Um, and let's, yeah, that's it. Get over to rickmarlin.co.uk. Last little plug. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, Rob. All right, pal. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed episode 30 with Rick. As I'm sure you'll agree, Rick's got a really great story. And I tried to get, like I said at the start, I tried to get guys on that have got um, a decent story and always got something to say. And Rick's, Rick definitely fits into that category. Just before I let you go, if you go over to paceyperformance.co.uk, 
you can download all previous episodes of the podcast on there. There's some great shows, um, guys with great experience and great knowledge and great stories um, going back the previous 29 episodes. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Pacey Perform, you can also download the podcast on iTunes and YouTube and via Podomatic. And I will see you in episode 31.